Let's get this shit started. This is the Down and Dirty Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast with your host, Nick Anderson. We are live. What is up, Dynasty Degenerates? This is your host, Nick Anderson, with the Down and Dirty Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast. Or as y'all know, it's the Triple D FFP. And I've got my boy David with me here today. And we are going to be talking about some recent news that we got going on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And we're going to be going over a way too early 2020 rookie redraft. So what's going on, David? Tell them what's up. Man, thank you for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. I love uh, following your videos on Twitter. I love your analysis. It's excellent. And I will say this is a few firsts for me tonight. Not only my first collaboration with you, it'll also be my first time drinking on a podcast. So yeah, cheers. Brother. Cheers yeah. to that. It's, I, I figure, hey, life is too short. I'm going on the Down and Dirty Dynasty podcast. I might as well get down and dirty a little bit. So cheers to that. I'm excited to talk about uh, a Fuego, fire, Fuego. Let me tell the mic, Fuego rookie (laughs) class. Let's get to it. That's right, man. All right, but before we get ahead of ourselves, we have to talk about the news of the day. And the news of the day is that Le'Veon Bell is coming to the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs kingdom, baby. I'm excited to have, you know, one of the best running backs of my generation be coming to my hometown team. But there's going to be a lot of changes that come with this. So, David, what's your first reaction to his addition to the Kansas City Chiefs? You know, I don't have much. Re- I'm trying to figure it out. I'm, I'm going to rely on you here because you're the Chiefs fan. You're the Kansas City insider here. I'm like most people here. I don't know what to think of it. I want to hear what you have to say on this matter. I want to hear we talked a little bit about it before who's who's going to be the number one for this year and how much does it bump down ceh going forward for dynasty outlook all right and so so yeah we talked about this a little bit beforehand and you know i am let's start off with the implications of everybody else and then we'll get into lev i'm worried about ceh on this one guys you know i mean i i love the kid i love the prospect i didn't love the pick you know, I've made it very, very clear that I thought that Kansas City made a misstep by going with Clyde over Jonathan Taylor. But he's here. He's with us now. He's who we got. You know, and he's the guy that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes wanted. So we got our boy. But after looking through the first five games of the season, we find ourselves with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the running back 13 and half point PPR. It's not exactly what everybody was expecting when they were drafting him. But as I've, I've voiced out on the Twitter sphere and everything, that I think that this year they're being a little bit more conservative with the running backs. We saw, you know, a pop-off in week one showing what CEH is capable of. But after that, we haven't seen the same kind of usage. And so I think that they're being a little bit hesitant with these rookies. And because of that hesitation, because of the lack of a preseason, because of all of those things, a COVID era, I think that the addition of a Le'Veon Bell is actually going to hinder Clyde Edwards-Solaire more than we ever knew because they can use this one-year deal with a guy who, let's not get it twisted, y'all, was the best running back in the NFL for years. He was Christian McCaffrey before Christian McCaffrey was him. He was the original guy talking about getting the contract as a running back and a wide receiver because he was that damn good, y'all. And he's the guy who played underneath Adam Gase, who has been a soul-crushing punisher 
for anybody who has played under his reign. If you know me, you know that I'm an advocate for once you get out from Adam Gase, you ball, just like my boy Ryan Tannehill. But so I think that Le'Veon Bell coming to the Kansas City Chiefs is going to give the Chiefs the opportunity to be able to cultivate a young, you know, running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but not overburden him with carries in year one. I think that it's going to give them the chance to have an extreme talent in Le'Veon Bell come on the field and do everything that they want him to do and not have to worry about the longevity of this player because he's only here on a one-year rental contract. And so I think that Lev is going to be, once he gets up and running, I'm not saying, because I think he has to do a five-day period of uh, quarantine. And so after that five-day period is going to be Monday Night Football. Okay, so I don't know if... I don't know if he's going to play week one, you know, that he's with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think that once he's up and running in the offense, he's going to be the bell cow in the Kansas City Chiefs backfield. I know that might be a hot take for some, but let's not forget how few miles Le'Veon Bell has on the tires and how talented he really is. So what do you think about that? You you kind of vibing me here? Are you a little bit bit taken off by it? I was was waiting for you to say that. Le'Veon Bell was going to be the Kansas City running back to roster this year in 2020. I was not expecting the word bell cow to come out of your mouth. That is what uh, is kind of put putting me on edge a little bit here. For one, I mean, is is Clyde Edwards Alaire really going to just take a back seat to Le'Veon Bell year one just like that? Coming in, not does he, not knowing the offense? I don't think that his performance has given him a choice in the matter. If we had a player that, you know, had it's kind of like we had Kareem Hunt come in on Nick Chubb's backfield. Nick Chubb had shown that that dude is the real deal. One of the purest runners that we've seen in the NFL. So when an extreme talent like Kareem Hunt comes in, yeah, Kareem demands his workload, but he also has to take a backseat to Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb's shown it. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, in my opinion, hasn't shown it yet. Running back 13 and half point PPR coming out of the, one of the most explosive backfields in the in the NFL isn't showing it to me so I think that Lev Bell has shown it in the past and he's got the name value they picked him up for a reason so they're going to use him you know you make a lot of good points and I think anyone who's not concerned from a dynasty perspective and a long-term outlook is just at this point you got to say caught and take lock because you can just look at the one-year deal and say okay it's only one-year deal deal for Bell but if they're just willing to bring in a good running back on a one-year deal this year Who's to say they're not going to do it the next year and the year after that and the year after that? This team is just going to looks like want to just stack as many talented offensive players as they can. And who's to say that every basically redemption story player is not going to be looking to go to Kansas City? If you're a player who's got talent, who's been misused by your current coaching staff, has a chance as a free agent. I mean, why wouldn't you take less money to go to Kansas City and play alongside Patrick Mahomes? 100%. If you could make a run for a title, you know, then I think that you, I mean, you come to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think that the idea of a number one, a true number one with no other competition is an antiquated idea in today's NFL, especially when you have a back that's, you know, five foot seven, 208 pounds like Clyde Edwards Hilaire is. He's not a prototypical feature back. You know, he's more of a scat back mentality that has the ability to go in between the tackles. And that's where I think that Le'Veon Bell is going to find himself getting the lion's share of the of the carries is because he's he's 220, 225. You know, he's built like you want a number one running back to be built. And I think that, you know, he's got a lot of tread left on the tires and we are going to wear every bit of fucking tread he's got off this year. 
Oh man, I love it. I should probably cut you off at some point because as a <laughs> Kansas City fan, I'm sure we could just talk. You'll, I could let you go all night and you wouldn't stop talking about this. <laughs> That's right. But we've so we've got we've got a heater on our hands today. So after five weeks, after a little bit of a quarter of the season gone by, we are going to be talking about a rookie redraft. For these rookies that we've seen come in and man there's been a lot of moving and shaking on these guys we talked about Clyde Edwards Hilaire already but these I mean some of these guys we're talking about CeeDee Lamb getting jettisoned to a lot of guys in the nose number one dynasty wide receiver yeah number two I mean it depends on who you ask it <laughs> but so I mean it, it's crazy to see how successful some of these guys have been and so I think that it warrants a step back to realize where some of these players are at and accurately value their, you know, what 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 trade targets there can be. We have seen a lot. We have not seen a lot, but we have seen a lot. It's absolutely time to start reevaluating this rookie class. Yes, sir. And so we will get into, we're going to start with the wide receivers first, because David, I know that you've got a spicy take in this one. And so I'm going to go with my number one, and my number one should be everybody's number one, but it's Mr. C.D. Lamb out of the Dallas Cowboys. C.D. Lamb has came in in a Dak Prescott, now Andy Dalton ran offense and taking the reins from the likes of Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. This guy is popping off the page. He looks like a monster in yards after catch. He looks like a monster in contested catch scenarios and a monster in gobbling up every share he can get. And for those reasons, he's my number one. Who do you got at number one? It's got to be CeeDee Lamb. Nobody's nobody's going to argue against us for the rookie class. I mean, it's just at this point, the question becomes among all of the wide receivers. And are you ready to make the leap? I don't see how you can't be at this point. He's he's essentially a top 12 wide receiver. I believe he's top 12 in, in points per game right now. And he's a rookie. His pace right now through five games, 128 targets, 92 receptions, 1,385 yards, and six touchdowns this is a generational talent we're talking about here at 21 years old at 21 damn years it's unbelievable old. unbelievable yeah. i mean and we were talking about this on the episode last night we were talking about how especially in the wide receiver class it used to be that you have that three-year window where you let the wide receivers develop kind of like we, we, we were still talking about with the tight end class you know and we were hoping that they pop make on that third year but man we're seeing these guys younger and younger every year with the 2019 class and on to the 2020 class these guys are popping at an earlier age. So the value of them in dynasty drafts is even more crucial to me now. That's why I'm glad we're in agreement with CeeDee Lamb at number one. Let's go down to our number two. I'm going to give the reins to you. Who you got? Number two for me. You know what? I might as well go on it now, right? Like, Nick, <laughs> just I hate to do this to you. This is our first time collaborating, and we're about 10 minutes in. Just put the mic down, sit back, kick your feet up for a little bit because – I'm, I'm going to go on my Chase Claypool soapbox. Let's and I had, him, I had him at number three coming into tonight. And just about to say the words out of my mouth, T. Higgins, number two, I can't do it. I'm going all <laughs> in on Chase Claypool, guys. All right? So do me a favor. Hear me out. This could get lengthy. This could be five minutes. This could be 10 minutes. This could be 15 minutes. All right, guys? I'm going to give you – my best Chase Claypool pitch that I've got in me, all right? And I'll tell you this. Here it is. I do not need to see anything else. I have seen everything I need to see from Chase Claypool. I don't know if you guys are – let me adjust the mic again. I have seen everything I need to see from Chase Claypool, all right? And I know some of you listeners are probably already thinking, it was one game. 
How can this guy be here saying he's seen everything he's need to see about Chase Claypool? It wasn't, my friends. It was not just one game, all right? Week one, I believe it was Monday night. It was either Monday night or Sunday night game. It was a primetime game. It was the Giants versus the Steelers. And on the second drive of the game, Chase Claypool hauled in a 28-yard reception, which was not just any 28-yard reception. Anyone who watched this game remembers the reception. It was down the sideline. He high-pointed the ball over the cornerback, got the Tony Toe tap in, and watching it live, you're thinking, this guy, that's not a catch. They, they play the replay a couple times. You're like, Holy shit, I, th- I think that guy caught the fucking ball. Chase Claypool, <laughs> but, you know, he, he didn't do much after that. Only caught one more target during the game. Again, two of two targets, but he caught two for 39, had one rush for eight yards week one. Again, that's just uh, if you look at the box score. When did that rush come? This is important, guys. It came on fourth and one with 55 seconds left in the game. They were up by 10, albeit, all right, Steelers against the Giants. But this is basically game over or give the Giants life. And on fourth and one, what do they call up? First game of the season, Chase Claypool reverse. He takes it eight yards. Game over, all right? Again, he didn't pop off the box score, so he went under the radar. There's so much shit going on week one, so much that we're getting bombarded with. Nobody's going to notice right. a guy going two for 39 and one rush for eight yards. I mean, it's right. it's just it's hard to really focus on that when you have so much other stuff you're being bombarded with. Fast forward week two. What happens? Denver Broncos. Chase Claypool, 84-yard touchdown reception. At this point, I don't think anybody doubts Chase Claypool has got some talent. You, when you see that play, it was basically just a fly where he ran down the field faster than the cornerback, caught the ball in stride, stiffed on him, and said, hey, I'm going to go into the end zone and make it look easy. And at that point, we saw week one, all right, he can do the high point. He can do the Tony Toe tap. Week two, we see he can do the fly. He can go down the field. He can do the DK Metcalf. He laid a DK Metcalf on steroids on that place. He really did. He just ran past the guy, stiff arm into the end zone, make it look easy. 84-yard touchdown. What do you know? Week three, we get a dud. One reception on four targets for only 24 yards. A dud in fantasy terms. But again, guys, this is three straight games to start his career with a 20-yard reception. This is a mini breakout happening that flew completely under the radar. Because again, week three, you got so much other shit to focus on. You don't got time to look at a guy who caught one pass for 24 yards. You just don't have time for it. You don't have enough time in the day. And so then you talk about week four, add on top, the cancellation. The early buy coming out of the week for buy. Who the hell was thinking about Chase Claypool? Props to you because I'm guilty too. He flew the hell under my radar coming out of this week for buy. I was not ready for this. I was nowhere near ready for this. But what do you know? What do you know? Chase, it took a Deontay Johnson injury. But what do you know? Chase Claypool, and let's look at the way he did it. He had four touchdowns. One of them got taken off. He had a fifth touchdown taken off the board where he just went up. Outman the guy, just bully ball them in there. Again, it was called pass interference. It's not always going to be called pass interference, especially when he starts getting that superstar treatment. Anyways, he showed he could go up, bully a ball in a high point situation, catch the ball. Then he hurtled over the guy who was on the ground and walked into the end zone. All right. That was one of the touchdowns. Let's talk about the rest. Another one quick slant. 
right into Claypool's hands. He runs right past the defensive back. He looked like Josh Gordon on steroids, all right? Like, uh, quick slant, what is the defensive back going to do? What do you do as defensive back? He dove it low to go out of Claypool. Didn't stand a chance. Easy touchdown, yak beast, all right? Let's talk about another touchdown. Line him up as a big slot. What does he do? Send him against a linebacker and safety over the middle. Easy touchdown down the middle. All right, guys? He add that to the repertoire. <laughs> Another one. What does he do? A reverse like we saw week one. In a goal-to-go situation, a prime-time situation. Whose number they call? Whose number did they call? Chase Claypool on a reverse. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Just to give some viewers some clarification. They call Chase Claypool's number. <laughs> on a reverse, got him into the end zone. Another touchdown. How was it? Wide receiver screen. Get him the ball in space. Let him do work after the catch. He's done it all. I have seen everything I need to see from Chase Claypool to vault him, not just up my rookie wide receiver rankings, up my dynasty wide receiver ranks. I have this guy right now in my top 15 dynasty wide receivers, and we're talking up. We are talking about the DJ Moores of the world. We are talking about Juju Smith-Schusters of the world. We're talking about the Keenan Allens of the world. That at this point, I am ready to put Chase Claypool ahead of. And let me keep going, Nick. I know I've already taken at least no, 10, to 10 minutes. I, we're getting to the best part because I'm not just here to talk about how much I love Chase Claypool and all that, guys. I'm here to implore you. I'm pounding my table here. I don't know if you can hear it. I'm here to implore you to go out and take action and to buy this guy because the misassumption here and the common, uh, yeah, misassumption, that's the keyword, misassumption, is that the T. Higgins of the world and the Chase Claypools of the world become unattainable, that you can't go out and buy Chase Claypool off of a four-touchdown game. Are you crazy? No, this is your last chance, guys, because there is still uncertainty because we don't know exactly what we're dealing with here. And for all you know, the guy who took Chase Claypool took a third-round flyer on him with his rookie pick and doesn't really know what he's got on. So if you believe, if you believe like I believe, if you're ready to slap the, the stamp of approval on him, if you're ready to slap the stick around that Chase Claypool is the next big thing, this is opportunity because you don't have to pay a DJ Moore, a Juju Smith-Schuster, a Keenan Allen price to go out and get Place Chapel. You might be able to give your Keenan Allen get Claypool and a third back. Hell, I'm willing to give my Keenan Allen and a third to go get Claypool. If I can get give Keenan for Claypool and a third, give him to me because if you believe that this is the next big thing, it ain't gonna matter if you slap the sticker on him a little bit early. If you slap the sticker on DK Metcalf as the next big thing last year, it didn't matter that you slapped it on him a little early. If you went last year this offseason and gave Julio in a third. For DK Metcalf, are you regretting that now because you slapped the sticker on him a little bit early is the next big thing? Hell no. Hell no, you're not. <laughs> Chase Claypool, if you believe, guys, that he is the next big thing, which I do believe, let's put that on, I believe he is the next big thing, you need to go out and try and buy this guy because he's going to become unattainable like DK Metcalf's, like the CD Lambs of the world in quick time, very quick time. If he, if he is for real, like you believe he is for real. So if you want this guy in your team, you have a chance. You can get him for 2021 first. I just did it. It, it doesn't take that much visit projected outside the top. Let that first go guys. Let your veteran wide receiver go, go get chase Claypool. <laughs> I'm done. Nick. You, you can have the mic. 
Mic drop. That's that's all Ooh. I have to offer. I'm just gonna sit back. I'm sorry, guys. My analysis is gonna suck for the rest of the show because I spent so much goddamn time thinking about Chase Claypool today. I couldn't get this guy off my mind. So <sighs> you make you make some great points on that. Some points that I definitely haven't thought of. The analysis on the way in which he was used out there on the field is crucial because it shows. And we already knew that the guy was a freak athlete and that he can do it all if given put in the right opportunity. The question was, was he going to get put in the right opportunity? My only fear, now I got to pump the brakes a little bit here. My only fear is that we've seen this story play out before. 84-yard touchdown or 93-yard touchdown with Juju Smith-Schuster. Breakout young career in the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, wide receiver core. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has the ability to turn, you know, coal into diamonds and he's done it throughout his career i mean look at the names that he has cultivated antonio brown emmanuel sanders mike wallace juju smith schuster deontay johnson you know now we're looking at chase claypool a long line a long lineage of successful wide receivers but i worry that you know these are his best years right now and so we're looking at a possible shortage in ben roethlisberger's career and the efficiency that he could have and maybe an ebb and flow where we see a Juju couple weeks and we see a Deontay couple weeks. And so that's the only thing that worries me. But everything that you said, from his athleticism to his usage on the field, and then also to the fact that I have been preaching left and right to you guys, is that get in on this rookie youth revolution because it's coming and you don't want to be the one left holding the bag when it's upon us. And so I completely agree with you. If you can go out and I'd be looking for like Claypool in a second for somebody like Keenan, but I, but I'm telling you, I think that's a great trade for players that are rebuilding to make right now, get a 27, 28 year old wide receiver, turn him out for the youth and future of the NFL. And let me just say, even as a guy who is basically putting my neck on the line for Chase Claypool and willing to let the guillotine come down on it, those concerns are valid. To me, though, the wide receiver, the way Roethlisberger's turned diamond or coal into diamonds, that's a selling point for Claypool. Because look at what he's done with Deontay Johnson and, and all these other nobodies. Like, and not to say Deontay Johnson's a nobody, but a lot of the other guys. He's elevated them. Look at Chase Claypool. He is the freak prototype of what he you is. look for in a wide out. And again, Roethlisberger's only got one or two more years. That is a concern. That is a major concern. But at this point, the reason I said, fuck it, I'm putting him over T. Higgins is my number two. This Pittsburgh team, do we expect them to, do, to take years in turmoil with no, with shit quarterback play? This right. is a franchise that is run properly. This is a franchise that'll figure it out, get a veteran. So they will be able to keep the Chase Claypool chain a chugging. <laughs> All right. So we've got, so David has expressed his Claypool love. <laughs> I'm going to give my second. So we got to run through these a little bit faster. But my second <laughs> is, my second is Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson and the Minnesota Vikings, he had a 93% catch rate in college. He's had 19 receptions for 371 yards and a touchdown. Aside from the touchdowns, he has been pacing. One of the best wide receivers in the NFL in Adam Thielen this season. 
And I think that with the emergence of Irv Smith, the presence of Adam Thielen on the outside, and Dalvin Cook, if he's healthy or not, it opens up so many unique lanes for Justin Jefferson. And I just think that the kid is a phenomenal talent. He's got the stickiest hands in this class, and I'm just super excited for the future of him. And he's one of those guys that I think has the longevity. You know, I think that he's going to be a constant producer, a la like a Robert Woods, like we were talking about the other night. Somebody who might not always be the sexiest play, but he's always going to be the most productive. See, I, I love everything you say about Jefferson. I don't hold anything against him. And I think it's a great point that he's got so much opportunity to in Adam Thielen's his only way. Like this, he's going to be featured at some point. The only reason I have T. Higgins right now above Justin Jefferson, which I do, T. Higgins is my now number three. He went into the night number two, Chase Claypool. And after a couple of glasses of wine, he jumped him. I'm ready to go on. <laughs> but T. Higgins. I think the selling point for Higgins over Jefferson is just that you look at that he's the next 10 years probably tethered to Joe Burrow. Like, Very true. That's Very why true. I have I have Claypool and Higgins both top 15. I say everything I said about Claypool, apply it to T. Higgins. I'll trade Higgins for Keenan Allen today. Like right. Keenan, I'll trade Higgins in a third for Keenan Allen yesterday. Like at this point, he's tethered to Joe Burrow for the next 10 years. Jefferson, it's a little bit more of a question mark, like what's going on? Are they going to be run first forever? Probably not, but Kirk Cousins, are they going to let him go? Are they going to find a solution? So it, it does add a little bit uncertainty where I don't think Higgins has any of that for his quarterback. And I dig that, and that's that's why T. Higgins is my third as well, so we, can, we are in agreement on that. So let's go down to our number four, and oh, how the might he have fallen. Jerry Judy is down at my number four, guys. And honestly, I don't feel entirely comfortable with him there either. We were talking, we were just talking about what you're tied to at quarterback. And if we have talked about any quarterback that's unstable in this conversation so far, in my opinion, it's Drew Locke. With the return of Cortland Sutton coming in 2021, the uncertainty of the backfield with Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay just kind of wishy-washy to me. You know, you do have Noah Fan out there, but it seems like Jerry Judy's just going to find himself in a weird state with Drew Locke passing the ball or maybe being gone in a couple years. So I'm not certain about his future with the Denver Broncos. I am certain about his route running ability. But, you know, he's had a couple drops here and there, but he's a great route runner with a lot of youth to be able to put out there. That's why I've got him up at four. But there are a lot of question marks with him that aren't there with my top three. See, I'm a little bit on the opposite end of a spectrum because four is a negative for you. It's not necessarily a negative for me. It's nothing against Jerry Judy. I wasn't really in on Jerry Judy, I'll be honest, coming into this year. I was putting my heart and soul into C.D. Lamb as the number one. But I'm higher on Jerry Judy than I was coming into this season because, okay. because he's been in a horrible, horrible, horrible circumstances. And I get Drew Locke. He's been injured. All right, let's not just throw the guy away yet because I was, I was off on him. I was off on him pre-injury. That's fair. So that's <laughs> fair enough. But for me, I mean, at this point, you talk about Sutton. He had the ACL. I mean. I We'll see about that. Judy has looked good and terrible, terrible. He's been playing with third-string quarterbacks, and he stepped Very right true. up. He stepped right up into an opportunity and into a position, I should say, that he wasn't expecting to be put in. So Jerry Judy at four, I think all the negatives, they're not all going to hold up at this point. They're all pi we're pi We can pile the negatives on Jerry right. Judy for everything that's happened. So I think it does – uh, open up a buy low opportunity because I, I believe in Jerry Judy from what I've seen from him so far. And I wasn't necessarily a super believer in him before. Well, and I think that the negatives more were more for justification as to why I bumped him down 
from my wide receiver two. But you make a good point in that wide receiver four is still a hell of a place to be when you're looking at this wide receiver landscape. So who do you have at number four, David? For me, I, ha- I had Judy at number four as well. And then I had yeah. Jefferson as my number five. Gotcha. And my five is my boy, the dog. I was talking about I like some junkyard dogs on the episode last night. And that's my boy, LaVisca Chenault, man. I love this guy. There is nothing that I love more in a wide receiver than versatility. And LaVisca Chenault has that in spades. We were worried about his injury history coming into the NFL. But through five games, he has looked like he is going to hold up. Cross my fingers, knock on all the wood that I got in my garage, you know. But I, I, I love what I've seen out of him. I think that he is being criminally underutilized right now after what I've seen in the games. And when he does get the ball, he does nothing but impress. He's a yards-after-catch monster, and he's shown that he can hold up in contested catches with that big frame that he's got. And so for those reasons, LaVisca Chenault, lock him in at my number five. I love the kid. And I don't have anything against that. I will say this, too, because – I was a Cordero Patterson truther. And okay. what's what's that been the concern for LaVisca Chanel? He's a gadget player. He's right. going to start a little hot turn into Cordero Patterson. And I know my opinion don't mean shit, but it just feels different. It right. feels different than Cordero Patterson because, I mean, it's the same in terms of the fact that he's a man and he's making man plays out there. <laughs> but I feel like his team is using him properly. Cordero Patterson, you know, they tried to use him as an outside receiver a lot. They tried to, you know, put him in places where he wasn't good. LaVisca Chenault, they're using him in the slot. They're getting him easy touches. They're using, he's their like number two running back at this point. Yeah. Like at this point, I'm basically I'm done being concerned about the Cordero Patterson uh, comparisons. I'm, I'm about ready to toss those out the window. So who do you have at number five? Or or I had Jefferson at five, and then I had I had Visca right after that as well. Okay, and so my number six is Jalen Rager, and you know I'm worried that I have him too low right now because we're we're getting you know recency bias from the current injury. Because I love Rager's profile. I, 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 where we were talking about Jerry Judy succeeding in a shit situation, Jalen Rager is the, is, is the personification of that in college. He overcame so much adversity to produce how he did. And then we saw him have a little bit of an off combine, so he slipped. But we also saw the individual pro day numbers where he was blowing off the fucking page. And when he's been on the field, he's been productive. But he's got Carson Wentz, who's playing some of his worst football right now. He's got one of the worst O-lines in the league that are just doing O-lay blocks for his fucking quarterback. And we've got Jalen Rager, who can't seem to stay healthy right now. And so for those reasons, he's moved down to number six for me. But I still love the player. I still love the talent. I still love the situation where he's the clear number one wide receiver, that is, in Philadelphia if he's on the field. Again, I feel like we're pretty on point with these like five through eight ranks because I had Rager there as well. And I had that same dilemma where I felt like it was too low. And the guy who I struggled with was him and Visca because mm-hmm. I love Visca. Like I said, and I said, I'm about ready to throw those gadget player concerns out there. I'm about ready. Like Rager, he just seems a little bit more complete. Like I trust him more on the outside as a receiver. I just right. trust him more. I trust his versatility more. And I, I trust him as a receiver more. And Visca, he, he's had one really good game against receiving-wise, and it was against Houston. So it's like it's right. still yet to be proven. And 
I, I really liked Rager before this year. In Philadelphia, we talked about all those concerns. They historically have had a really good line under peace, and you got to feel like right. they're going to invest in that and get that issue fixed. So I do agree. Jalen Rager, this is the time to buy if you want to buy. Go get Jalen Rager now because it's what probably would only oh. – What would you pay for him right now? I don't want to speak on that. This is my first year in Dynasty. I don't want to give bad advice. I thought, I'll let I mean, you – you tell me. What would you give? Well, here's the deal. I mean, you might be having some people that have buyer's remorse right now. And while the 21 class is full of talent, you know, it's full of talent that we haven't seen on the field the same way Jalen Rager is. And if Jalen Rager were tossed into next year's draft, I'm not a huge Debbie guy, so I need to get into the rookie class a little bit more. But I have to imagine that he would compare equally when we're looking at the CeeDee Lambs, T. Higgins, Justin Jeffersons. You know, I mean, we're competing him with those guys in this draft class. So the 21 draft class would be very similar, in my opinion, you know, with with uh, uh, my brain is fucking failing me right now. But <laughs> so, uh, but so I would pay I would pay a first hoping that somebody had buyer's remorse right now. And I think that that might get it done with a guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy on the field and hasn't came, you know, to the heights that you wanted him to in relation to his other draft classmates. I think you might be able to get that. And if you can get that, I'd take it all day. You know, because that's the, that's one of the guys that you wanted out of this draft class. So now, if you can get him for a first, easy money, in my opinion. That's so true. Let's and the Eagles on. have been his, historically a good offense too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So let's move on. And Jalen Rager was your what? He was your seven. He was right there. I'm right there with you. We got to right. disagree at some point. Tell me someone that I don't like right here. All right. Well, so, okay. <laughs> so I have actually, I, you have convinced me to change my ranking, sir. I have made a bold move after what you have said. And up to number seven, up to number seven is risen. Chase Claypool, boys and girls. Ooh, that's <laughs> what I like to hear. That's what, I, where was he at before? That's the important question. So I had him, I was debating between him and Denzel Mims at, at 10. <sighs> And the only and, and actually, I probably would have had him above Mims. I probably, if I was really thinking about it, would have had him above Brian Edwards. But it was a real tough, tough hit for me with Brandon Ayuk and Henry Ruggs, who you know Ruggs had the pop off game last week. We've seen Ayuk have a little bit of production on the field, and I like what my eyes can see. But Claypool has done it. He's been there, and you may you convince me. So Claypool is sliding in as my number seven wide receiver. We've heard every single statement that could be said under the sun on this boy. So let's go on. So who is your number eight? I can tell you we're going to start disagreeing really a lot at some point here because you are names and names. Those ain't my names. I'll tell you that much. At number eight, I have Brandon Ayuk, and okay. I, I was considering putting him – I had him above Rager. I had him above Visca as well, and – I feel like I should, and maybe the maybe the wine brings out like the it just all becomes clear to me because I was like maybe I should clay over though I drank two glasses of wine. Oh, it's clay over again. And vino point, veritas, baby, and vino veritas. I guess so. I guess so. And I made three bets last week. Drunk as hell. Work, woke up on Sunday thinking, what the hell was I doing? I made them Saturday night. I bet on the Browns, the Raiders, and the Cardinals, and they all won. So I guess uh, me drinking and betting is a good idea. So right. Ayuk, maybe you should listen to what I have to say about Ayuk here because <laughs> it's the Kyle Shanahan connection, guys. At this point, a Kyle Shanahan connection is about important as a quarterback connection to me because <laughs> I know I get it. I get it. They've been ugly. They've been sloppy. They've been terrible. Look at the bigger picture here, guys. Kyle Shanahan is a friggin' genius a friggin' genius who can turn anything into gold. Like you said, Ben Roethlisberger fan. He'll turn, what was it, dust to gold? What, what was the saying again? You got to correct me here. 
don't know what to say. <laughs> he doesn't even remember his own sayings. Oh, we're clearly fading. Oh, here, no. Oh, turn, 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 turn coal into diamonds. Coal into diamonds. There you go. <laughs> and I don't think Brandon Ayuk is coal, my friends. I, I would. Right. I believed in this guy in college. I'm a combine believer, like, and which makes me kind of wonder what the fuck I was doing with Chase Claypool because I should have been all over this guy. You know what the hell's wrong with me? But anyways, Brandon Ayuk, that combine man, he had a 40 inch vertical, like the four five oh forty. I know if he was a four four nine, you guys would have been thrilled about it because there's a four five oh. Ain't nobody talking about it. But still, this guy is fast. He is tall. He averaged over 10 yards after after this is the finger flip after the reception <laughs> his last year in college this guy is a yak beast who's known to utilize yak beast i don't know maybe kyle shanahan <laughs> and so so we talked about this one last night on the podcast as well and i am personally because we were doing this or that a segment choosing between locker room battles okay and there is a battle going on between debo <sighs> samuel and brandon iu and i personally lean the Debo Samuel side. Like I said, that's when I was talking about them dogs. You know, Brandon Ayuk to me is a little bit, and I got a lot of heat about this, but he's a little bit softer to me. You know, he's just, I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that he's weak. I'm just saying that he's not Debo. You know, he's not, he's not on the block, baby. He's not scaring Ice Cube, you know? I'm saying he's not Debo. And so uh, because of those reasons, that's why I'm leaning his way. Because once he's back healthy, he's got the injury bug a little bit. Once Debo's back healthy, I think that Ayuk, you're going to see him take a little bit of like a, a, a 1B role instead of the 1A role. And that scares me a little bit with the versatility of Debo out there. You know what? Because I, I love Debo too. But I, I think I'm going to have to take the other side here because you talk about He's not a dog. That's not his game. That's not a negative to me. Dad Debo's game. Like Debo is a dog. That's okay. That doesn't have to be a negative against Brandon Ayuk because at this point to me, I like what I see about them utilizing him on the outside as a receiver. He can play the outside. I, I don't know if Debo Samuel can play the outside as much right now. I love Debo Samuel and I love the way Shanahan's going to use him as a slot receiver, right, right, right. but I'm not exactly 100% sold. He can be an outlier outside receiver as well. And IU, the thing is he can play the outside. They're giving him the same Debo reverses, carries. He had three carries last last week, or if not last week, the week before. Um, so, I mean, Ayuk, to me at this point, he's performing earlier in his rookie year than Debo did. He's probably a little bit better of an athlete. He can play outside as well. So I might – I mean, I love both guys, so don't, don't take this as a Debo side, but I'll probably take Brandon Ayuk in that heads up. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I love this rookie right. wide receiver class, man. It is <laughs> oh, deep and stacked. And so that was our number seven, or that was our number eight wide receiver right there, Brandon Ayuk. Let's move on to number nine. And I've got Henry Ruggs on the board. And you get you gotta believe this. I have been one of the biggest rugs haters that you could imagine throughout <laughs> this entire process. I've been shitting on the kid. And so my fear was, and I've said it multiple times, that he's going to be a better football player than he is going to be a fantasy football player. I think he's a huge asset out there on the field to a team, but I wasn't sure if he was going to get the utilization that he needed. And I understand this is only one game. I also understand that it's based off of three targets. But again, you have to realize that that's what his game is. His game is pop-off plays. His game is blowing you off the page, running past you, you know, with that lightning fast speed. Against the Kansas City Chiefs, which I saw in color, in person, firsthand, 
He got three targets, two receptions, 118 receiving yards, and a touchdown. And one of those was on blow. I don't even know if it was blown coverage or if he's just so goddamn fast that the guy wasn't able to catch him. But Henry Ruggs did what I wanted to see Henry Ruggs do. And now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And so that's why he finds himself as my number nine wide receiver. That'll be the last time we agree. Henry Ruggs, number nine. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> So then let's move on to number 10. Number 10 we've got, and this is a tough one for me to put him above Denzel Mims, but it's all about, you know, they've both been injured, but I just, I don't trust the Jets right now. I don't trust Adam Gase until he's gone. I can't trust my boy Denzel Mims to be above my number 10 player in Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards finds himself in the same system that Henry Ruggs is in. And if you get Ruggs going the way that I'm predicting them to get him going, then you equally get brian edwards going everything plays into each other and a player like henry ruggs opens up the field for a player like brian edwards if he wouldn't have gotten injured he was very well on his way to be a first round draft talent the guy is a stud freak athlete high point monster i love what he brings to the table a true number one and i'm a little bit of a size when it comes to my wide receivers and so i love brian edwards as my number 10 wide receiver who you got there though i like what you say about him i think I just want to make a point here. If you're a fantasy content creator, like this is the players we want to know about because after we agreed for the most part up to nine, Henry Ruggs, I have three different guys who I don't think Nick's even mentioned at this point. So we want to know, we want to know about these wide receivers who are a little bit later because there's so much like differentiation in opinion. Right, right, right. And there hasn't been enough time spent on these guys. Like for me, I, I was really struggling with it because Mims as well, he is a combine performer and I feel drawn to these guys like, like a magnet. And, but for some reason, the gut just ain't feeling it. And maybe I, I try to think past Adam Gase. I try to think to the future. I, I can't get on board. I don't know why. I don't even have any good analysis. Just have you, have you watched, have you watched Mims college tape? I watched, uh, I think two of his dynasty nerds games and I thought they were Ever. good. Every play is a fucking highlight reel, though. I mean, the guy's a fucking monster. He's a contested catch monster. <laughs> I want I want to see him do it all. But, again, I don't know a whole lot. I want fancy content creators out there. Go tell me more about Denzel. I'm sell me on him because I, I'm not, well, not well, sold on him. Who do you have at 10? I, I went with a little bit of a leap here, and I put Gabriel Davis okay, over 10. I, li I like that. I like because that. Mims, I feel like he could be the one I regret, but at this point, why would you rather invest in the Jets' offense, the Bills' offense? Hoo-wee! The Bills' <laughs> offense. Josh Allen, I get it. The Titans game, he took a step back. But, again, look at the bigger picture here. Josh right. Allen's legit, guys. How old are John Brown and Cole Beasley? Nick, do you know? I can uh, tell you it starts with the three. Yeah, I can tell John you Brown's 31, isn't he? It starts with the three. I'll tell you that much. I know that much. <laughs> it starts with the three. And Gabriel Davis, he has looked good. It's going to be one or two years, and he's going to be the number two receiver for Josh Allen in an offense that doesn't really seem really inclined to use the tight ends too much as receiving targets. I, I like Dawson Knox, but right now, this is a receiver-centric offense, sure. and Gabriel Davis looking like the number two. He's performed as a rookie. I'm, I'm, it's kind of like the Chase Claypool thing. I'm really willing to be a little bit early and put him above other guys just from what I've seen already. I mean, I'll buy in. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. So that is your wide receiver 10. Who you got at 11? I went with KJ Hamler there. 
Okay. Okay. Because again, I feel like he's one of those that I haven't been able to place yet, you know, because of the talent out there, it's been tough for me to figure out where his landing spot is going to be in this Denver Broncos offense with Cortland Sutton out. It's hard to know how he's going to fit in. And one year might be an aberration, you know, but let's hear your take on him. I like that. He's had one good game. (laughs) How many many other rookie Wyatts have he said that? Like I struggle with Pittman and Mims, like putting them above him, but Hamler's already had a good game. Right. Pittman, I, I really liked Pittman. I was comparing him to Mike Evans in the, in the mm-hmm. offseason. I was so, I was as well. That was actually – that was my comp to him the whole season. It's not too early. It's not – or might be too early to say it's, he couldn't be Mike Evans. He might be still right. a Mike Evans-level talent. But, again, what's happening with the quarterback situation, he hasn't popped as a rookie, right. so I'm willing to reevaluate there. And Hamler, at least – I mean, he came in hurt. The first game, I believe, he had a, a decent game. The second game, good, and got hurt again with, again – backup quarterback so i'm just really hoping at this point you, you got to bet on the talent and just hope it shines through yes sir and so and, and i love that take i love i love kj hamler i think that he's a dynamic talent that can succeed out there but he's just not there with the last guys that i've got and for my number 11 i've got my boy denzel mims you guys have heard me spit take after take after take about him if you go look at his college production if you go look at his combine scores if you go look at his rookie profile what they were saying about him they were saying that you know he's a contested catch wide receiver who has all the makings of being an excellent route runner he just has to put it together and he's got all the natural skill that you want this stuff that you can't teach the stuff that you can't teach is what denzel mims possesses and and the only thing that they've got on him is drops but their concentration drops and you know who had all of those same problems but all of those same attributes is julio motherfucking jones (laughs) if you look at him they're the same size they've got the same type of collegiate production same combine scores damn near the exact same draft profiles written about each other and i love denzel mims and i cannot fucking wait for the prospect of him to get back on the field with Sam Darnold, who is a criminally, criminally underrated quarterback in and of himself. See, it's funny at that very end you bring up Sam Darnold's name because for me, as a guy who doesn't really know a ton about Denzel Mims and it's just kind of judging from a distance, the selling point to me is tr- if they get Trevor Lawrence next year. So <laughs> that is I also mean, true, but, but and, to, to me, that's a fail safe. Like you know, it's foolproof. It's either you get Sam Darnold, who we've seen. He can produce, man. He's made Jamison Crowder look great. And Jamison Crowder is great, but he's not fucking Denzel Mims. And if you don't get Sam Darnold, then you get Trevor Lawrence. It's a fucking win-win either way you go. All right, Denzel Mims just moved up three spots in my rankings, guys. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, hey, you you got sold on Claypool. I got to return the favor. Hey, you're making good fucking points, bro. So <laughs> Denzel right. Mims. He goes up. He goes up. He's got the combine scores. He, he fuck. I, I gotta buy in at least a little bit. And the thing is, this is the time. It's it's not necessarily about whether I believe. It's about whether fucking you believe. Exactly. And if you believe in Denzel Mims, what a fucking time to go out and buy him because I'm sure 2021 too will get the damn deal done. If not something small like. His value has gone downhill since the second rookie drafts have happened. So if you believed him in rookie drafts and missed out. And, and you really believe? Go fucking get Denzel Mims. Right, get your guys. Always, always, always get your guys. So is Denzel Mims in at your number twelve? <sighs> he is now. <laughs> <laughs> but before right. that, before that, I had Michael Pittman Jr., who I still think has a high ceiling, and I still think he's got the tools to put it all together. 
And so I've actually made a little bit of a pivot, and I'm jumping on the bandwagon with you. I'm putting Gabriel Davis as my 12. I like it. I like it. I love the guy. I love the guy. And so we've ran a little bit long on the wide receivers, so we're going to jump right into the running backs, and we're just going to make this a running back and wide receiver redraft episode. So let's start this off with a bang. Who you got at one, David? Well, I like that. I like how you're flexible, Nick, because honestly, <laughs> everybody knows what the fuck to do at quarterback. We could yeah. get into a Burrow-Herbert debate. We'll save that for another day. And the tight ends, none of them have shown shit, so it don't even matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm a tight end truther. Unless his yeah. name's Cole Komet. Actually, Harrison Bryan, I think, is definitely worth the stash. But we'll get put, into that. Put some respect on my boy Adam Troutman's name. Oh, he's not even make my list, bro. We'll get into that another day. All right, how about that? All right, <laughs> who you got today, for your number one running back? Is there a question, especially after this bell sign? Do we even need to talk about it? Nope, JT, all the way, baby. There all we go. The Let's get it over. You don't need to hear anything about that. Nope. And so I will say this about him, though. Be, be patient with his usage. I've, I'm telling you guys that I think that the usage this year is different than the usage in years past for rookie running backs because COVID season, no offseason, all of that stuff, a lack of sync with the team. So I think they're just taking it slow with these franchise players that they just drafted. But Jonathan Taylor locked in both of our number ones. Who you got at number two? <sighs> number two here, it was CEH. Yeah, it was. I mean, that, that's a real question that you have to be asking yourself now, knowing that the Kansas City Chiefs are willing to, you know, jump on a guy like Le'Veon Bell. It makes you question their allegiance to a player like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And so, who do you, who, what are you thinking now? What you got it to? It's a 2A, 2B kind of situation for me. And I mentioned this to you before. And I feel like, I feel like a traitor. I feel like fucking. What's his name? Benedict Arnold. I don't even know. Like, I feel like a motherfucker right now because I'm almost ready to put Antonio Gibson above uh, J.K. Dobbins. Talk me off the cliff, Nick. Talk me off the cliff. So, I Antonio Gibson has a lot of great traits. Okay, we obviously the 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 fucking fears of underutilization in college were vastly overblown, um, but. What I will say is that when you're looking at the offenses, when you're looking at scoring potential, and when you're looking at the thing that they're actually signed to do, which is running the ball, J.K. Dobbins does that better than Antonio Gibson. He's in a system that is going to score more often than Antonio Gibson's system is going to, and he's given more unique opportunities than Gibson will be given. Even with a Ron Rivera system, I think that if you can get – you know, once you see Mark Ingram go out the door, now he's still going to have that competition with Gus Edwards, who has shown up. But I think that J.K. Dobbins is leaps and bounds, in my opinion. But I can understand where the where the gap sh uh, shortens. Uh, I think he's just better than Antonio Gibson. So, oh, but I, go ahead. I believe that he's better. The problem with me is I don't know if his coaching staff wants to wear him down. In right. the Baltimore Ravens, they're not desperate. My friend, I'll tell you this. I remember we ain't desperate. We don't need to wear J.K. Dobbins down. And we have shown before J.K. Dobbins and with J.K. Dobbins that they want to involve multiple running backs. They right. want to involve multiple running backs. And not only on top of that, Lamar Jackson ain't throwing a whole ton of targets to <laughs> running backs. And J.K. Dobbins can do it. Don't get me wrong, man. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love J.K. Dobbins pre-draft when he landed with the Ravens. I was having a dream come true. But at this point, I feel like I need to reevaluate a little bit because 
They ain't throwing him the ball that much. And Antonio Gibson, I see the comparison usage-wise, I see Antonio Gibson as the next Alvin Kamara. And I, I have to feel like he's producing well with with among the worst, if not the worst quarterback play in the NFL right now right, as right. a rookie as, with a coaching staff that wants to feature him as a runner and as a receiver. I see him with that 60-plus reception upside. J.K. Like Dobbins that. could set, could catch 60 s- catches in his sleep, but <laughs> do I know if the coaching staff ever going to give it to him? Do I know if Lamar Jackson ever going to dump it off to him? I don't know. So we'll see. I think it's a 2 Two A two two B kind of situation with Dobbins and Gibson right now. For so, me. so does that mean that technically Ceh has fallen to your number four running back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does mean that. All Absolutely. Right. So, so I am actually going to make. I, I honestly think I'm going to make a little bit of a pivot here, and the pivot is going to be I'm putting J.K. Dobbins up to my running back too. And and as we're talking about J.K. Dobbins, the one thing that keeps coming to mind on this, and I truly believe this because I believe in the talent in Dobbins, is that once given the opportunity, once given a healthy share of carries, I think that the offense and the coaching staff is going to have to make a paradigm shift because they're going to see that J.K. Dobbins helps them win games. Lamar Jackson rushing the number of times that he does and not passing to the running back, all of those things become predictable. They need to be unpredictable to to maximize their winning potential. And the only way that you become unpredictable is by using all of your assets to the utmost of their ability. And J.K. Dobbins is being criminally underutilized right now, as is the whole running back scape in Baltimore. And so I think that if the coaching staff is as good as I think that they are, they will make the shift once they see the weapon that they have in Dobbins out there in real time on the field. Yeah, and I'll I'll probably end up regretting every bad word I said about him. <laughs> <laughs> and so so I'll go to my number three. My number three is Clyde Edwards Solaire. We talked a lot about the ramifications of the Bell signing and the mentality in Kansas City that has made us drop him from our number two running back. And so he is your four, he's my three. And let's go down to my four because we know who your third we know who your three is, uh, and Antonio Gibson. We'll go down to my four, which is DeAndre Swift. I've still got mad love for the guy. We've seen what Adrian Peterson has been able to do in this Detroit offense. And Adrian Peterson is 35 fucking years old. DeAndre Swift behind the scenes has been excellent, like extremely productive with limited target shares based primarily off the receiving work. And I mean, if you can start to think about a world where DeAndre Swift is getting the receiving work that he's getting and the rushing work that Adrian Peterson is getting, I mean, it's an absolute dream. And it's not like Kerryon Johnson is there to start stealing shit because he's not doing it. And Adrian Peterson isn't going to be around. He's 35 years old, guys. DeAndre Swift is the future of that backfield. And I don't see anybody coming in to take that away from him. You know, I completely agree because I was all in on DeAndre Swift pre-draft and at this point, like, guys, if you're like an Adam Gase, get him fired guy, like one of those starting petitions, like, can you do, put the same energy towards Matt Patricia, guys? That's because right. yeah. we are so sick of this shit. Like, how does Dion, and you want to talk about Alvin Kamara comparisons? I made it with Antonio Gibson. It's even more apt for DeAndre Swift. And this is important, guys. Like, I'm sure you've heard it a million times if you're on Twitter. A target about three times. More valuable than a carry in fantasy. We want receiving running backs. Let me say that just we want receiving running backs, and that's all DeAndre Swift has done. 
he has caught the ball immediately. All he needs is eight to ten carries, guys, and it's game over. Right. Hell yeah. And so that's why I've got him at my number four. So who do you have at your number five, David? It, Swift was my number five. I, I barely kept him below CH. After that, I, I'm, it's got to be James Robinson, right? No, man. Oh, I think. I'm still sticking with my boy Cam Akers. He's gonna, I was okay. going to say, I've seen, seen you put out a little bit Cam Akers love recently. Right. Let's talk about him a little bit. I mean, so the whole thing is we've seen how productive Darrell Henderson has been. You know, we've seen what Malcolm Brown has been able to do a couple games this season. And none of those guys, both of them pale in comparison to the talent profile that is Cam Makers. He has the catching ability. He has the rushing ability. He is elusive. He is powerful. Everything Cam Akers, in my opinion, is the most raw, talented running back in this draft class. I think just as like a raw talent, he's there. He just doesn't have the pure running chops of a Jonathan Taylor. He doesn't have, you know, the elite receiving of a Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But I think that as a raw, if he can be honed in, if he can have that coal pressed into a diamond, I think that he could just fucking blow people off the map. And that's why Cam Akers comes in as my running back five, or as my uh, redraft running back five. Dynasty rookie redraft uh, running back five. Yeah, clarify. Yeah, right. It's because I think he's so rawly talented. I think that McVeigh has such an effective offense. And I think that we've seen so much production out of running backs there. When, if and when he starts to get up and running, I think there's going to be no stopping him. You know, I don't disagree with anything you say there, but there, there is a whole lot of coulds in there. Cam Anderson is a great receiver. He could catch the ball. He has got 40 snaps in one target, my friend. I hate to break it to you. Injury two, injury two, though. Still, at this point, <laughs> Daryl Henderson, he's under contract. I hate That's to break true. it to you. Daryl Henderson is under contract. We and talk they do about, have damn near the same draft capital. We talk about James Robinson, on the other hand. Mm -hmm. You got Daryl Henderson to worry about in, in L.A. <laughs> we already talked about it before. The RB2 in Jacksonville is a wide receiver, my friend. It's a wide receiver. He is owning it. He is owning it. And at this point, we get, I think in fantasy, and I'm 100% guilty of it too, we get caught up in what we think should happen and what we want to happen and not what general managers are going to actually try to do. At this point, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson are tied together for at least two years, and we don't know whether they're going to bring in a second running back to, again, take the receptions away from Cam Akers. I like Cam Akers. I don't got anything against him. I don't got anything you say against him. But Jacksonville, how many holes does this team have? Are they spending one of their dra high draft picks on a running back after James Robinson showed that he can not only run the ball, but he can catch the ball too? At this point, James Robinson's it now. I mean, you're really banking on a jump, a major jump from Cam Akers to be ranking him above James Robinson right now. Yeah, and I, I, I don't disagree with that. It's just the fear, and you're right. Jacksonville has a bunch of holes that they need to fill on that team, but it worries me that there is potential to see, you know, James Robinson be the Darrell Henderson of years past, you know, see them draft somebody with maybe not a second, but a third or something like that, that comes in. And now we've got a running back competition on our hands. And so I do think that James Robin is immensely talented. I think that he's shown us absolutely everything that we could want to see. And if I was certain, it, I'll put it this way. If he was a second round draft pick, I would, and I understand that draft capital doesn't matter, but it does matter. If they made the investment in him, 
I would be viewing him differently, but they don't have a sunk cost in him right now that they need to, you know, justify to the fan base. I will say that's fair, but again, let's talk about how egregious it was the fact that James Robinson went undrafted at Illinois State. He had 12 plus touchdowns as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior. He was 5'10, 220, and jumped 40 inches. Do you know how many top 24 running backs have done that last year? You look at the top 24 fantasy running backs last year who were 5'10, 220, at least 220 pounds, jumped 40 inches. Saquon Barkley's the only one. That's it. He should have been drafted. He should have been drafted in the, at least the fourth round. I don't disagree. And so I love that take there. So that was your running back five or that was your running back six, right? Six. Yep. And so my six is going to be your boy, Antonio Gibson. We've already talked about him in exhaust. I might have him too low, but it, it is tough when you've got these talents in here. And we're still raw on these guys. Not sure where they're gonna where they're gonna fall at. And so I love Antonio Gibson, but I like the talent of a couple guys ahead of him. Then we go down to number seven. Number seven is James Robinson for me. Okay, who do you have in number seven? I had Acres there, and then at eight, this was like I think the top seven's pretty clear. It's in any particular order. It's J.T. Right. Dobbins, Gibson, C.H. Swift, J. Robin Acres. Then it's what the fuck do you do after that? <laughs> All right. Me, I was struggling because it comes down to me. The two guys I have next rank, Zach Moss and AJ Dillon. And a lot of people probably got Josh Kelly here, but fuck, man. Josh Kelly has been volume based. He hadn't been efficient at all. I'm not sure I'm sold on Josh Kelly's town. Zach Moss, I believed in pre-draft. He's been injured. It's early. I have him ranked above AJ Dillon now, which probably tells you more about how I feel about Aaron Jones and how I feel about AJ Dillon. Have you have you heard how much I hate AJ Dillon? Because <laughs> I have all of the hate in the world for AJ. Is Dillon. he even in your top twelve? Uh no, no. <laughs> oh yes, I'm sorry. He does. He brings up twelve, just okay, barely so by the by the intro. But but in all honesty, when I because I watched so I so I did I did a segment at the start of the draft where I was doing uh, a bracket challenge where I was narrowing down my selections for the pre-draft process by watching film and analyzing people versus each other. And when I was watching A.J. Dillon's film, I understand that he had an anemic offense in, in Boston College. But when I was watching his film, dude, it was so boring. It was, I mean, it was so dry. There was nothing that excited me. And I heard that his junior year was a little bit better than his senior year, but his senior tape was just lethargic. Everybody's talking about him as the next Derrick Henry, but he went down way too easy on contact. He got worse as the game went on, where Derrick Henry gets stronger as the game went on. A.J. Dillon, to me, is just another continuation of these big physical freaks that don't actually pan out, and especially knowing that Aaron Jones has performed the way that he is, so they're almost guaranteed to give him a contract. It's hard to imagine a world where A.J. Dillon sees targets and carries over a guy the likes of Aaron Jones who has played so admirably. You know, I'm going to check you a little bit here, Nick, because I feel like we've checked each other pretty well so far. It, it doesn't make sense to me how it can be held against James Robinson, the draft capital, and then we can turn around and not look at the fact that the Packers invested a second-round pick in A.J. Dillon. I don't know. I don't and care I what I think about him. I don't care what you think about him. They think something about him, and right now they are – a potent, 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 potent offense with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. And Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, one of them ain't long for the team. This is a two-running-back system, an in three-running-back system. If at some point A.J. Dillon becomes the running back, too, 
I, I think he's got to at least be at least somewhat decent, right? Well, so I so I did a thread. I'd have to find it right now. But I went back to the 2014 draft class, I believe it was, and I went through all running backs who were uh, drafted in the second round that had a stud in front of them, a la Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones seems to be the anomaly right now in fighting off his rookie counterpart. You know, it was it, talking about snaps. It was something that like they hadn't gotten less than like 100 attempts in a game. And A.J. Dillon is falling dramatically below that right now. And so, I mean, he is a he is a a, a stat breaking, poorly producing <laughs> second round draft pick. And everything that I saw pre-draft kind of showed that to me. But I will say that coming into this season, I fully anticipated him getting goal line work. I fully anticipated him meeting that expectation of all second round backup running backs that we've seen since 2014, but he just hasn't lived up to it yet. And I think that with Aaron Jones production, he's going to be hard pressed to do so. But so you we know, got a little bit of a, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I got nothing against you. You're kind of cooling me on AJ Dillon a little bit. Cause I love Aaron Jones too. I mean, and he hasn't done shit. You can't beat out Jamal Williams. Right. You can't exactly. beat out Jamal Williams. Exactly. That's but a problem. So we, we all know that sometimes coaches have their boys and they run with them. But so my number my number eight is Joshua Kelly. Um, I'm not going to go too much into him because, like you said, he has been less than efficient. But what I do think when we're looking at that offense is that his role is solidified. Justin Jackson's role is not. And so when you're looking at the counterpart to Austin Eckler, I think they want it to be Josh Kelly. And when we're getting down to the running back eight in a rookie class, I'm just looking for somebody that could be a flex play. You know, I'm not, I mean, if you can find, because a lot of these guys, you know, we're going to see the nines, tens, 11s, 12s. If you look empirically at drafts in the past, those guys just fall by the wayside and they end up being nothing. So I want the guy that's going to be something, you know, that's going to be a good two, that's going to be Latavius Murray. You know, that's what I'm looking for in this. And I think that Joshua Kelly fits that mold well. So that's why he's my running back eight. Who do you have at number nine? Well, I had Dylan and Kelly nine, 10. So we're pretty, okay, we're pretty much in agreement with there, except for you got, uh, Dylan a little bit lower than me. <laughs> That's right. And so we look at my nine. My nine is my boy, Anthony McFarland, baby. I'm telling you guys right now, I, I am beating my table about uh -oh. Uh -oh. Anthony McFarland. A lot of table beating tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you guys, we've seen him come in. He's already had a game with six rushes for 42 yards, seven yards per attempt. You know, he had two targets with one reception for seven yards. And we also saw him get three rushes in the in the in last week's game. You know, I think that there's something to be said about the ability to be able to use a guy like Anthony McFarland in a Pittsburgh offense where you already have a Benny Snell, where you have a James Conner, you know. And the fact that he's getting usage tells me something. And the one thing that I keep going back to is his college tape, you guys. Anthony McFarland is a 21-year-old Keyshawn Vaughn. And I fucking love Keyshawn Vaughn. Okay, I love him. I loved his I loved his tape and and he is the young version of that. I mean and if we would if we wouldn't have seen a sophomore season injury to Anthony McFarland, I guarantee you he would have jettisoned up draft draft boards and you we wouldn't be talking about this right now. It'd be a non-question. He would be much higher than this. But because he was drafted so low and because you know he's behind James Conner who won't be there for the foreseeable future, he's seen as lesser. But Anthony McFarland is the guy. Trust me y'all. I'm sorry, Nick. I don't trust you. <laughs> I knew I knew we were going to have to come to like a harsh disagreement at some point. 
And I think this is where it happens because maybe I'm crazy. You talk two names. Not only you talk about my father, you talk about Keyshawn Vaughn. Those are the two guys I was like, stay the fuck <laughs> away from, guys. And oh. maybe I'm maybe I'm looking into my own research a little bit too much. But I, I'm starting to put a lot of stock into jumping drills for the running backs. And again, this this harkens back to the fact that I'm a combine truther, and I, right. I want to analyze the shit out of what the what are these guys doing from a physical perspective? What do they have to offer in terms of athleticism? And my main problem with Kishan Vaughn was the fact that not only did he have a bad vertical, he had a bad broad jump, 32 inch vertical for Braun, 100 uh, Vaughn, 117 inch broad jump and usually you see running backs be able to do one or one two or like one or the other and it shows lower body explosiveness mm -hmm. the only running backs i have 71 here and this is top 35 running backs from 2019 2018 2017 and 2016 all right so all there's right. 71 top 35 running backs and you only have one, two, three, four, five, six who jumped as poorly as Kishan Vaughn. You have Dalvin Cook with 30.5 inch vertical, 116 broad. He's an outlier. We saw all the talent on tape. We knew Dalvin Cook was legit. James Conner, James White, Alex Collins, Jeremy Hill, and Matt Jones. So the only guys who couldn't jump and ended up being top 35 performers were these fat guys who were power backs. You talk about uh, James Conner, Alan Collins, Jeremy Hill, Matt Jones. It was fat guys who didn't need to jump because they could just fucking plow into you. So Kashawn Vaughn, he can't jump. Talk about Anthony McFarland. He had a 28 and a half inch vertical. I don't believe he did the broad jump. That is concerning to me. Let me just look at 2019. You don't even have to go far back. Just look at the verticals. I won't even say names. I'm just going to list off the numbers from number one down. 37, 5, 35, 37, 5, 37, 32, 5, 45, 41, 39, 5, 28, 5, Fournette, 31, 5, Ingram. 38.5, that was Chubb, 37, 34.5, 35, Jacobs, Gurley, 29, Connor, 31.5, Bell, Mixon, 35, 31, 5, 36, 32, 35, 5, 35, 5, 35, 5, 35, 5, 36, 5, 34, 41, 5, 28, 8, 5, Dave Montgomery, 40 for carry-on, 30 for Jamal, 36, 5, 40, 31, 5 for Cohen. It's just not good. If you can't jump and you're small and you're not a fat guy, you probably don't have a future as a top 35 back. And maybe I'm looking way too much into verticals. I need someone in the analytics department to, to back me up or shut or shut me down. Cause I'm, I'm buying into the, the verticals in the broads a lot for running backs. Fair enough. I need to, I need to take a little bit more of a look at that. And I knew that the jump metrics for Anthony McFarlane and Keyshawn Vaughn weren't there, but the one thing that I can say that is there 40 is the, is the tape when I watch it too. The 40 and the tape when I watch it. Keyshawn Vaughn has one of the nastiest stiff arms to rival Derrick Henry throwing fucking Josh Norman across the field, you know? And we and everything that I saw about Anthony McFarlane on the field just shows me what I want to see. And so that's why he comes into my number nine running back. Who do you got at number 10? Number 10, I had I made the jump because at this point it's what the hell do you know? I said P Ryan because I liked okay. P Ryan. In yeah. the Jets, same thing with Mims. You're not buying in for 2020. Hell no. You're buying in for post-Adam Gase. So, right. P. Ryan, there's an open depth chart. What what the hell else do you want more? A prospect you like with an open depth chart? Fuck, I'll put him at number 11. Or what's we it, wanna, what if we, we want to talk If we want to talk about combine duds, though, P. Ryan's right up there with the combine duds of the world. 
but I think his vertical wasn't bad. I liked his vertical. Okay. The the, okay. the 40 wasn't there. The 40 was not there. But I don't put a whole ton of stock into the 40 for the running backs if they can jump. Yeah, it just depends on what their game is. And Piran's game clearly isn't getting the edge. But And so I do think that he finds himself in a window of opportunity right now in the Jets' backfield that could see him have massive production and maybe future production as well. But, you know, if his family member Samaje is anything to, to be an indicator, not very good. Hey, um, let's I, talk about the vertical. I just looked it up. 35 inches. That's pretty okay. good. 46240. I say it's better than McFarland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to go on to my number 10. And my number 10 is Zach Moss. I am fading Zach Moss right now. I just I, I, I don't see a scenario where he beats out Devin Singletary. I think that they are going to be a two-headed monster for years to come. And I think that Devin Singletary has almost solidified his stance as the premier back in that in that tandem. And, you know, I'm also not sure if Zach Moss's toe is still attached. So that's something that I'm worried about right there. So, but he is, he finds himself as my running back 10. I still got respect for the kid. I had high hopes for him, but I just think that him and Devin Singletary are going to battle a lot more than we'd hope for. That's fair. I'm not willing to give up on Zach Moss here. You talk about the toe. That's short term to me. In Singletary, you talk about him. He's got him beat out. No doubt about that. But do running backs get paid? No. Right. Is Singletary probably going to move on in free agency? Yes, and I think Moss, maybe he's not going to be enough to beat out Singletary, but I think he'll be enough to make them not highly invest in a running back when and if Singletary moves on. So I'm not ready. That's only a one-year gap, though. That's a one-year window. It's true. That is true. Two years from now that you're looking at. That is fair. That is fair. But I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Zach Moss yet. Fair enough. So let's go on to our running back 11. My boy is Keyshawn Vaughn at running back 11. Fournette, I don't believe, is going to be re-signed there. I, I, we'll see. I mean, it's honestly, it's anybody's guess at this point with what happens. But you were talking about having a lot of holes. The, the, the Buccaneers have a lot of holes that they need to fill. And I'm not sure that Keyshawn Vaughn is – I'm sorry, I'm not sure that uh, Leonard Fournette is going to be one of the guys that they use for that. And if we could see a tandem utilization like we've seen with Ronald Jones and uh, Leonard Fournette so far this season, I think that Keyshawn Vaughn, especially who has already gotten a little bit, just a small, small fraction of the receiving work, I think that he could find his way onto the field, especially with Arian's statements about not wanting to give Ronald Jones 20 to 25 carries and eight receptions a game. You know, if he's not willing to do that and Leonard Fournette isn't there next year, who's the heir apparent to those Fournette carries? It's Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, I, I'm not going to hate on you because let's I'm going to play devil advocate against myself, right? Because there are some selling points for Keyshawn Vaughn. And one of them is the fact that the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers lead the NFL in running back targets through five weeks. They lead the NFL and Ronald Jones has shown that. He got butterfingers. He's been eating butterfingers. Left and right. I don't know what he's been doing, but he ain't been practicing on the drugs machine. That much for sure. Or if he has, he ain't been doing a very good job. In my selling point against Kashawn Vaughn was the five running backs who jumped as bad as him. I mentioned Dalvin Cook, Alan, Alex Collins, James Conner, Jeremy Hill, Matt Jones. Who was the other one? It was James White, who just happened to also have a connection to Tom Brady. So Kashawn Vaughn, if he can establish himself – as a third down guy, I don't see the ceiling here, but if he can establish himself as that third down guy who they rely upon in Tampa Bay, he can have a future. He can make a case for himself to be that third down guy going forward. So Keyshawn Vaughn, I don't love him, but I can understand a, a universe where he comes out and, and has a role going forward for multiple years. Hell yeah, brother. All right, so my 12 is A.J. Dillon. We've already talked about him. And who do you have to close us out in the running back redraft? 
you know, it's a bit of a flyer here. Anyone you pick at running back 12, but I'm still sticking with DJ Dallas. It's been slow returns, but come on, guys. Rookie running backs. They had Chris Carson ahead of him, Carlos Hyde. You're buying into the Seattle Seahawks offense more than anything else at this point. And we've seen Chris Carson. I don't know if you guys listen to my podcast with Sean Ryan at all. I've probably mentioned it 45 times, and I'm sorry if I'm beating a dead horse here. Chris Carson ain't played a full season since his senior year of high school, guys. That's the NFL plus the college. That's I'm not a mathematician. But that's not good, good. guys. It's not good. good. And it's been a lot of small injuries, and he's played through a lot. Give Carson credit. But he's a ticking time bomb to me. You go go seven, eight seasons without playing a full season? How long is that going to last for? So at this point, Russell Wilson is – he is locked in as the Seattle Seahawks quarterback for, I want to say, at least eight to ten years. I mean, he's playing till he's 40 as a Seahawks quarterback. So DJ Dallas, Chris Carson's not going to last forever. Carlos Hyde's temporary. DJ Dallas, I mean, he's he's pretty cheap right now. His value's gone down since you drafted him. I like like Dallas as a flyer. And I completely agree with that. If I was going to put a 13 in there, it would be DJ Dallas. He's been one of my guys through this whole thing. You know, his receiving work is what intrigues me. Because you've got Chris Carson, who is the big-bodied man that can bounce in between players in the in between the tackles. And then you've got, you know, what you would hope in um, – goodness gracious, why can't I think of his name? The Hyde, back. Penny. No, Penny. Rashad Penny. I'm sorry. My brain's not working tonight. But you've That's got what happens Rashad with the beer. Penny. That's right. <laughs> But, you know, you would hope that he would turn into something, but he just hasn't. He hasn't prospered yet. And so DJ Dallas finds himself in an opportunity to be able to solidify himself as a receiving back. You know, I know Garrett Price from the Dynasty Nerds has been beating the drum for him. So if you want any solid information, go check his stuff out. But DJ Dallas is a diverse back that can run in between the tackles, but also has great hands. And so he's somebody that I'm really excited about. I love him at your number 12. And we've seen Seattle before. They they want a receiving mate. They tried like desperately to get CJ Precise <laughs> to be that guy. Right. He couldn't hold up. So eventually they started using Carson on uh, third downs. But they they want to find a receiving back in this offense. Yeah, and don't ever forget Carson bobbling that touchdown catch after having three straight fumbles in a row. You know, don't ever forget that because he's not a receiving back by any stretch of the imagination. I like All it. right, man. Well, that closes out our dynasty draft do-over for the wide receiver and running back position. You know, five games in, we thought it was a good enough standpoint to be able to reevaluate so you can know what the price points are moving forward. And if there's one thing that we've talked about in this that I want to express to you is get the young guys now because there's a youth movement upon us. So go out there and send those picks out, send those trades out, and get some of this class. You got anything for him as closing notes, David? Yeah, go get Chase Chase Claypool. (laughs) (laughs) Go get him, baby. And don't drink in podcasts because clearly I can't talk at this point. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. All right, you guys. Well, this has been the Down and Dirty Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you like our draft do-over. But if you don't, fuck it because we're drunk. (laughs) Cheers to my water. I already drank all the wine.